So, praise God. It's great to uh, be speaking today. It feels like a very long time since I preached, so uh, I've almost forgotten how to do it, but uh, we'll see how we get on today. I, I want to share with you a, a bit of a prophetic message. So, this time of year, we usually start with some kind of visionary talk or or a prophetic message for the church. So this this year it's a prophetic message that I want to bring to the church, and it's about keeping the main thing, the main thing. This is something that's been stirring in me uh, for quite a few months, and uh, we as a leadership team, we were away on retreat. We usually start every year, year, uh, with retreat and just praying and waiting on God, and shared this message with them, and we just felt like this is a word from God that we need to share with the church. So it's about keeping the main thing, the main thing. And it comes from the words of the prophet Haggai uh, to the people of God. And it's in chapter one of Haggai. So I'm giving you loads of time to find that book. It's quite hard to find Haggai chapter one. And he calls people back to the plan God has for their lives. The main thing from where they've become distracted and intimidated. That's not the main thing. Now, I've got a short video to just show you now uh, about this idea of keeping the main thing, the main thing, which we'll just play to you. About how we make the most of our time. The professor stood before his class with some items in front of him. There's a well-known story about a university professor who wanted to make a point about how we make the most of our time. The professor stood before his class with some items in front of him. When the class began, without speaking, he picked up a large, empty jar and proceeded to fill it with rocks about two inches in diameter. He then asked the students if the jar was full. They agreed that it was full. So the professor then picked up a box of pebbles and poured them into the jar. He shook the jar lightly and watched as the pebbles rolled into the open areas between the rocks. The professor then asked the students again if the jar was full. They chuckled and agreed that it was indeed full this time. The professor picked up a box of sand and poured it into the jar. The sand filled the remaining open areas of the jar. Now, said the professor, I want you to recognize that this jar signifies your life. The rocks are the truly important things, such as family, health and relationships. If all else was lost and only the rocks remained, your life would still be meaningful. The pebbles are the other things that matter in your life, such as work or school. The sand signifies the remaining small stuff and material possessions. If you were to put sand into the jar first, there is no room for the rocks or the pebbles. The same can be applied to your lives. If you spend all your time and energy on the small stuff, you will never have room for the things that are truly important. Pay attention to the things in life that are critical to your happiness and well-being. Take time to look after your health, play with your children, go for a run, write a letter to your grandmother. There will always be time to go to work, clean the house, or watch TV. Take care of the rocks first. The things that really matter, set your priorities. The rest is just pebbles and sand. So um, that's a fantastic message, isn't it? It actually comes from Stephen Covey's book, 
first things first. And he actually says in the book, he says that the professor asks the students, what's the point of this illustration? And so one of the students answers and says, well, no matter how full your schedule, if you try hard, you can always fit more in. Uh, That was his concept. Uh, No, the professor replied, that's not the point. The point is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. And so I want to talk about one of those big rocks. I want to talk about the main priority that Jesus tells us that we are to have in our lives, which is God and his kingdom. Or as Haggai says, he says the main thing in this passage, the main thing is about building the house of God. And I think there are some direct applications for us uh, today as a church uh, concerning the building of this church. And I just want to take you on a bit of a wonder through chapter one. We'll dip in as we go along and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But it starts in verse one with a, a context and history for the words that uh, Haggai is going to speak. So let's just read the first verse here, which will come up on the screen. So there's Haggai one verse one. It starts like this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, that might mean a lot to the people of the time, but it doesn't mean a lot to us. I'm just going to take a bit of time to explain that because we need to understand the context in which Haggai's prophetic word comes from. Um, This is actually a summary of the time uh, that Haggai is giving us here and a fuller version of the stories recorded in the book of Ezra. But I'm not going to turn to it, but I'm just going to set it out for you very quickly. This all started around 586 BC. The Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar II, had, after a three-year siege, invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and taken most of the Jews into exile. And it was then about 50 years later that Cyrus the Persian conquered Babylon and brought the Babylonian empire to an end. And then the next year, around 538 BC, he allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. All this, according to Ezra, to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. And so shortly after the people returned, they had a big collection towards the rebuilding of the temple. And there was lots of monies and possessions were given within a really short period. And so the altar was rebuilt and then work began on rebuilding the temple, starting with the foundations. And it was when they'd set out the foundations that trouble began. The foundations had been laid, and so those around them could see the extent of the building that was planned, and that's when the opposition began. Threats were made to the people. Political power was used against them, and accusations were made because the the nations around them were intimidated by Israel's bold plans and wanted to undermine their confidence. And so Ezra records that the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. 
And they hired counsellors to work against them and frustrate their plans. That's the summary from Ezra. And, you know, I find it really interesting that it was at the point that the foundations had been laid and things had been set out that opposition began. No walls have been constructed, only the altar. If you read Ezra, you will see that the completion of the altar and the foundations led to this huge, uh, amazing celebration, this loud worship service, and all the nations around could hear it because it was so extravagant in praise. But the noise they made and the vision that had been laid out made them vulnerable to discouragement. They'd worked so hard on the altar, on the foundations. They gathered money in two years. They had done this, but now the opposition came. And the work ground to a halt, and nothing more was done on the building for around 18 years. (laughs) I mean, how many of you know that nothing much has changed? That the strategy is still the same? That it's when the church begins to reach out, when, uh, when influence is given, that opposition starts. People get picked off. Leaders are attacked often in their personal lives. And we've seen these things. And so missions can get diverted or halted. And it isn't even a money issue at this point. It's not money. There's no lack of money at all. But the people became fearful and distracted. I mean, just take a look at Jubilee over the last few years. I mean, we've seen a lot of new faces, haven't we? It's just been so wonderful to see people join us. But people have have come because they like the foundation that we're building on. (laughs) They like the plans that we've laid out. And we've seen a lot of favor as well. Our influence is growing as a church. It stretches way beyond our size. Our reach uh, is further than ever before, both nationally and internationally. Just like has been prophesied, the words that have been spoken over the years are coming into fruition at this time. And it's not just about the church either, it's even in the community. So the storehouse that Alison was talking about is giving us opportunities and connections with local authorities that we never anticipated. And we were just talking about it this week, how we thought that this was a ministry to the poor, but it turns out that it's a ministry to those that connect to us as well. This is what we're discovering. And God has blessed us so much financially this year. I mean... It seems like we just, people keep getting given. People are so generous. And we're kind of saying, well, what are we going to do with all this? And then we soon find some things that we need and things that we need to give away. God has blessed us so much. I mean, even from the community, we've had donations, so much so that Alison and the team have been saying, I think we need to tell people to stop. We, we just can't keep receiving all of the generosity. And that's not just clothing and items that go with the clothing. It's finance as well that's been given to the church over this last year or two. What trust has been given to us? But, you know, these things, as we lay out this foundation, as we lay out this plan, this vision shouldn't make us complacent, but we need to be prayerful and alert. That's what we can learn from this story. There is opportunity for discouragement and distraction. There have been a number of difficult things that have happened over this last year or so to discourage and undermine different ones of us. Family tragedies, illness job threats, mental health issues, and so on. Some people have had a really tough year, actually. 
It's, it often happens that when the kingdom is advanced, that's when the trouble comes. Is that any surprise? Some people have had a really tough year. And there may be a temptation to get distracted. Which is, of course, why God sent Haggai with his message. He came to encourage the people. So let's get back to his prophetic word and, and, and try and get some encouragement ourselves for what's coming ahead. So let's just look at verse 2 to 3. And you'll see here that the people had stopped work by now. They'd been working for two years. And then they stopped work for about 18 years, but felt completely justified in doing so. Verses 2 and three. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? The people justified the stoppage of the work. They said it's not the right time. You know, obviously it's not. Just look at all the signs, look at all the stuff that's going on. Maybe we jump the gun anyway. I mean, look at all the option, uh, uh, all the opposition. Perhaps God isn't in it after all. I mean, you may have heard people say these kinds of things. You know, surely if God was in it, there wouldn't be so many problems. It's got to be easier than this. But in my experience, at least, it's uh, more often the case that the opposite is true. You know, no prophetic word is fulfilled in our lives without opposition. Did you know that? No advance of the kingdom takes place without resistance. No church is without its problems. No leaders are raised without difficulties, just like no children are born without pain. And I've come to see that opposition is more often a sign that we're making a difference And perversely, I now start to get worried if things are going a bit too smoothly. I start to think, what's going wrong? We're not making a difference. We're not affecting anything. Is nobody noticing what's going on? (laughs) If things get a little bit quiet, I get a little bit restless. I mean, just think about it. Does Does any of that make any sense to you? You know? I mean, what has distracted you? You know, what's taken you down a dark alley and even now you're trying to find your way back? All kinds of things can do this, you know. All kinds of stuff can come against us to bring discouragement. You know, family life. You know, even the good things of family life can distract us. Did you know? I mean, we've had a load of people have babies in the church over the last couple of years. How many people have found that distracting in any way at all? (laughs) You know, other things can happen in families. As I said, a number of people have, have suffered bereavement of close family members this year, including us. And I've got to say, it certainly takes you into new territories of distraction like I've never known before. And, and then workplace stuff comes. You know, it just comes out of the blue, doesn't it? Threats of redundancy, as Paul was telling us last week. Different stresses from the pressure of workplace or financial matters. You know, different people amongst us need breakthroughs in their finances at the moment. Then there's illness that just comes out of the blue and takes you out, takes you away for a period of time. Emotional health and well-being 
the number of conversations I've had with people who, who just need support and encouragement at the moment in those areas. And all these things can come at us and, and, and knock us sideways and backwards and all other ways. Legitimate, understandable, justifiable reasons why we can be distracted, distant or not connected with the main thing of our lives. God and his kingdom. God and his house. They can take us off course. And it's about this. These distractions that come, that through Haggai, God challenges the people. And he says, is it time for you to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains in ruin? God uncomfortably puts his finger right on the tendency we all have when we go through hard times to become very preoccupied with ourselves and our own houses. You know, our time and our energy goes into looking after ourselves, to protecting ourselves, to hiding ourselves, to storing up for ourselves, building our panelled houses. (laughs) We don't even know where they got the panelling from, you know. But we're not talking about MDF or chipboard here. We're not. we're, We're talking about the kind of wood that would have been used in a royal residence or Perhaps a temple. Where did they get it from? I mean, did they take the wood that was intended for God's house and use it for their own comfort? Did they steal it? Well, God wants it back. (laughs) He's been very patient. He's waited 18 years, but he wants it back. And he wants you back. (laughs) He wants your times. (laughs) He wants your energy. He wants your attention. He wants your gifting. He wants you back on course and re-engaged in the calling that he has for your life, both individually and together, that we come together again and make the main thing the main thing. He wants you back. He wants you back. He wants you on his mission. He wants you on his purpose for your life, despite the distractions that you've been through. He wants you back. Now, you know, before you think God is being hard here, or maybe you think I am for bringing it up, remember that the people have been taking a break, not just for a couple of weeks or or months or even for a couple of years. This is 18 years, 18 years of taking a break. 18 years of preoccupation with themselves, their own comfort and their well-being. Well, do you know, it was a really difficult time that we went through. <laughs> it was really hard, all that opposition. And you know, the house did need a bit of attention. Do, do you see the re- new rooms that we've built and the extension that we've built on the extension with this lovely paneling that was just lying around? <laughs> What's that? Oh, I'm not part of a church anymore. I, I, yeah, yeah, I haven't got time. And before you know it, 18 years have passed. 18 years wasted. Things, you know, that can happen, things that happen to us can take us in these directions. This kind of lost place that we can get ourselves into if we don't understand what's going on with us. You know, it's a lie-in one day. (laughs) Missing a tithe the next 
avoiding somebody in the street the next, and before we know it, we've stopped praying, the Bible stays closed, and we fall away for a time. All justifiable. That's how it starts. And, and in that time, our disillusionment and our hurt festers and we just stop contributing to the house of God. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know? Have you felt that tendency ever? Or is it just me? And this message today is a warning to us that if we don't deal with our stuff, that this is where we can end up. 18 years down the road of wasted life. Although for most of us, this is actually about the temporary distractions of life or difficulties. But at the same time, there's something for us to take in here. It's about not allowing things that come against us to distract us for any longer than necessary. I mean, how, how can we counter the effect of these distractions in our lives? Well, actually, you know, it's all about understanding what the family of God is about. It's not withdrawing when things get tough. It's not pulling back. It's not shutting down. It's not shutting out. It's about the opposite of that. It's about coming close. It's about being honest with your pain. It's about living authentically and humbly. It's about praying together and standing together in hard times. Not withdrawing, but pushing in all the more. This has the effect of building an authentic house of God when people are able to do this. Not withdrawing. Pushing in. I'm going through a hard time, guys, and I'm going to tell you about it so you can stand with me. Bringing that stuff into the family. I want you to know how seriously we take these kinds of things. I'm not being flippant about your pain or your difficulties, you know. A couple of weekends ago, as I was saying, our eldership team went away on retreat and it started on the, the Friday night with an honesty session. We, we had a little, because we're all men, we had a little tick list to get us started in talking about our emotions. And then when the list shows us that there's a few issues, it gets us talking, you know. We're just men, you know, work with us. But, you know, that evening, on that Friday evening, until around about half past midnight, we poured our hearts out to one another about some of the stuff that had been going on recently. We poured our hearts out to one another. And then as each one would stop sharing, another would say, come on, let's pray. Let's pray into that. Let's prophesy over that family. Let's prophesy over that situation. Let's stand together in this. So much so that we took it into Saturday morning's program. We didn't get everything done on the schedule because this was more important. This was more important. And over the years, we've always said, look, when stuff's going on, everything stops. And we pray into that. We deal with that first. That's how importantly we take these things. We want to build authentic community together where we share real stuff from real hearts. That's what it's about. Coming closer together. 
not being isolated. You know, we don't need all the people to know all the stuff. But we do need some people in our our lives who know all the stuff. Come closer. Have you got those people in your lives, people that you can just pour your heart out to? Come closer. When trouble comes, come closer. Don't disconnect. Don't disconnect. Because if you don't, you know... If you don't take these kinds of risks, you're going to lose out. And you may not even know why. That's what's so bad about this. You might, even, you might not even realize that you're missing out. Let me just take you through this because there's some symptoms that Haggai gives to the people that the distractions have begun to take you off course and you're no longer keeping the main thing, the main thing. Let's just go through them. I'll just read the passage to you first and then I'll just unpack it a bit for you. So just read with me Haggai five, uh, 1 verses 5 to 6. Here you go. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Think carefully about your ways. Reflect on it. You've planted much, but harvested little you eat but never have enough you drink but never have your fill you put on clothes but are not warm you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in God's saying you don't even realize that you're losing out people hadn't even realized what was missing They thought their lives were so good in their distracted state. But God says, hold on a minute, think about it. There's stuff not right. Something's missing. Can you feel it in your disconnected state? You've planted much. You've been very busy. (laughs) You've been so busy that it's distracted you. But look how busy you've been and how little you've got back. Is your work really so important? Is that what you want to make your life about? Is it worth the sacrifice? Is that the rock that you're putting in first in your life? Your career, is it worth it? You've planted much, you've got so little back. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. The simple things in life, here's the other symptom, when the simple things in life are no longer a pleasure to you. Simple things like eating and drinking and sitting in the countryside and enjoying the sound of the birds. The simple things, when those no longer are a pleasure to you, there's something wrong. You feel empty inside, you, you're dissatisfied, you're hard to please. You didn't used to be like that, think about it. You put clothes on but you're not warm. It's just, there's just this air of pointlessness and despair about your life for no apparent reason. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes. It doesn't matter how much you earn or how hard you work, it's never enough. You're in debt and there's no provision for your needs. Think about it. Is that the way it used to be? Think about it. This is the reason why God's saying, think about it. When did things start to become so pointless? When did that empty feeling start? That's not what I have for you. 
When did it start living for myself and stop giving to the house of God? That rock was taken out of the jar. Perhaps it even broke the jar as I took it out. Such was the pain and the despair and the discouragement and the distraction. It even broke the jar. But you've not been able to fill it again. Well, God says, you need to take some action. Haggai 1, verses 7 to 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. There's that phrase again. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with his own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. I did that. I did that, God said, because I wanted you back. I wanted your attention back on me. Back on me. I want you back. It's that key phrase. Just think about it. Think carefully about your ways. Verse 7. Weigh it up. Work it out. It's going to make sense to you. If you do what I tell you to do, I will bless you. If you work with me, you'll know my pleasure over you. All the things that you've longed for in building your own house, you'll find in mine and more. The grain, the wine, the olive oil, and so on. And actually in the chapter that follows, God says the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house because his spirit dwells among them, foreshadowing the church, God's household, his family on earth, and his habitation. Amen. But I know, I know there are all kinds of reasons why we get distracted. There are all kinds of things that take us off course. But God says there's blessing in this. I'm kind of, uh, I want to say something and uh, I'm struggling a bit with it. But I want to talk to some people here today. I want to address one of the reasons why, uh, why, why you get distracted. I want to talk to our friends who have been really damaged by church. We, we seem to often have people amongst us who've been really damaged and hurt by church. I want to talk to you. I'm just going to say it, be open with you. Um, because for you, it's the distraction is the idea of recommitting to any church family is really difficult. Uh, and we know that there are people amongst us who are in that position right now. People have been unimaginably hurt and disillusioned. So just for a moment, if you don't mind everybody else, I'm sure you've never had any problems with church. But I just want to talk to you. Because I know the distraction for you is, can I ever trust again? 
Can I ever hope again? Will it just go wrong again? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth any more pain? <laughs> I, I know. I understand. And, and I've been there. And ten years or so ago, I was asking some very similar questions, and I've asked those questions before that as well. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I reached a decision that I took in faith. You have to take it in faith. There's no guarantees. And somewhat with trembling and trepidation, I made a decision before God to trust again anyway. It was like that. There's no guarantee, but I decided God's house is worth it. I really do believe in the church of Jesus Christ, even though I've been pretty hurt by it. I decided to make that decision, to make myself vulnerable, to, to take the risk. And it wasn't easy, and I'm not saying I just made it lightly and thought, okay, well, this is the right thing to do, you know, the Christian thing to do. No, it was through gritted teeth and determination. But I do believe that the foundation that was laid here as a result of that came out of that place of vulnerability and authenticity. I I want you to know that. And I just want to share something with you. I've never shared this publicly before, but I really feel, and because it sounds so grand, I've worried about sharing it with you. So I'm just being vulnerable in sharing it with you. But I I hope it's going to help you, okay? Um, Because one of the breakthrough moments for me in all this was when I felt the Lord draw me to a passage in Acts chapter 5. It was just after the apostles. That's why I say it sounds very grand. You know, the apostles had just received an almighty beating for the sake of the church. And it says this, that the apostles left the Sanhedrin, the place of their beating, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering for his name. That blew my mind in the context of the suffering I'd experienced because I didn't think that I was really suffering for his name. And then the Holy Spirit said, you're worthy to suffer. I counted you worthy to suffer that you would not disgrace my name. And so much of that is to do with how you respond when things go wrong. It's about keeping your hearts right anyway. And when you, do, when you allow the Holy Spirit to use you in those places for the sake of the kingdom, when you endure suffering for the sake of his name, there's an incredible glory in that for him. Worthy. And I want to say to some of you that you have suffered. <laughs> and there's glory for him in that. And you think, well, this is... This is terrible. These things have happened. They should never have happened. No, 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 I know. But you've suffered well. (laughs) And Jesus says, unless you're prepared to fall into the ground. I'll just share that with you. It was a breakthrough moment for me. Just feeling the Holy Spirit would trust me with that. that there would be blessing in that for me and for the church that we would lead here. 
I hope you don't mind me speaking to you personally, but, you know, if you're stuck in that kind of distraction, I want to make the bold invitation for you to come anyway. I want to invite you to come and join us in the building of this house (laughs) and the plans that God has for Jubilee Solihull. I want to invite you to come and get stuck in. Take the risk. Do it anyway. That's courage. Courage isn't, and we talk a lot about courage as a church. Didn't we have some courageous con- contributions today? Wow. Alex, I just love that. I don't know where he is. That, that song, that took courage to do that, you know. He's, he's, not the, he's not the best singer. I can say that he's not here. But, <laughs> but you can hear the heart, can't you? I mean, that t- takes courage. <laughs> it's like... It's like me dancing at the front. That takes courage. I t- tell you, uh, that just uh, it takes courage, and it's not about um, not feeling afraid. Courage, actually, courage is about I feel afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come on this journey with us. It's a serious invitation. Let me just conclude. I'm going to close in a moment, but I want to take you back to that illustration. You know, if you don't get the big stones in first, you won't get them in. And let me just ask you this. What stones need to come out? What needs to be rearranged? What priorities need to be changed? Perhaps some of the gravel needs clearing. You know, the gravel, that horrible kind of grimy grunt gritty stuff that gets stuck between your toes some of that just needs to come out I I just think you know some water needs pouring into that jar (laughs) and it needs sluicing out the Holy Spirit does that you know that's what he does you know the rest of the chapter shows us verses 12 to 15 that the people got to work and it wasn't because they felt guilty or because they felt manipulated in any way it says that God stirred their hearts he gave them the spirit to work again and I believe there is that for us there's a stirring at this point in the life of our church of the Holy Spirit wants to stir our hearts to go again come on there's so much more to do there's so much further to go he's stirring our hearts calling us together as the family of God in this place to go and change the world. That's what the disciples did in their day. I don't think that that commission has stopped. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. I don't think we've finished the job that Jesus has given us to do yet. So um, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means for us to build the house of God. I'll give you a clue. We're talking about family. It's you and me. It's God's household being built together.